Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go through some questions that I've been given here from um, some of my viewers, um, and if you've got any questions, feel free to chip in, ask a question here and now, and I will do my best to answer it. Um, oh Emma, not Emma. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Emma. MRL is it? And you couldn't even get Emma L Parker. Did you have to get Emma L Parker eighty three? You've got Emma L Parker's a bit niche. Has someone else got Emma L Parker? get 83 maybe you wanted 83 but um anyway um see that's the thing about styano no one's got jj styano that's available no matter when you join it well not now obviously but yeah um so i will do my very best hi cheryl good to see you i can't do anything back to you um i can't wave or anything it's my date of birth there you go uh, it's emma's date of birth 83 giving your age away there um current in the house you coming through loud and clear on facebook thumbs up nice to see you corin um so uh yes if you ask me a question i will do my level best to answer it and with any luck i'll do a better job at answering your question than i will with this question that I've <laughs> this question here now i'm doing that because i've got a thing on facebook which shows the question at the bottom there instagram not so much so i don't know how to get on instagram so i'll read out this question uh is an upright mri scan as accurate as lying down one so this patient has said i need an mri scan on my implants as they are 12 years old is an upright scanning machine as accurate as a standing lying down mri scan because the lying down scan has a much higher tesla rate i have claustrophobia Right, so I've got to be honest, full disclosure, I got no idea. I got no idea. Higher Tesla rate. I mean, it sounds like whoever's asked this question knows more about upright MRIs and lying down MRIs than I do. Because I didn't know that one had a higher Tesla rate than another. And I don't know if a higher Tesla rate is good or bad. And I don't know. I mean, I know there's not many upright um, upright MRI machines, and I thought the upright MRI machines were there for things like, you know, looking at your knee under load and things like that. So I thought that's what they were good for, looking at your joints under load. But I've got no, I'm, you know, I'm honestly as good as you. In fact, I'm worse than you because you've probably Googled it, so you're probably ahead of me because you've already Googled it and found out about this Tesserae thing. So I'm not even as good as you. I am worse than you at asking, answering this question. You need to ask an upright MRI scan machine man. What I will say in the um, in the in the uh, manner of every good politician who doesn't know how to answer a question, I can always answer a different, slightly related question. And what I will say that all MRI machines. Um, machines have a margin of error. So all scans will have a margin of error. 
both ways. In the medical terms, we call it sensitivity and specificity. Um, what it is really talking about is false negatives and false positive. So a false negative is one when they say it's negative, your scan's negative, you haven't got a rupture, for instance, in this case, when in fact the implant is ruptured. And a false positive is when they say it is ruptured uh, and it is not ruptured. So all scans have uh, a degree of sensitivity and specificity uh, in that they will give false negatives and false positives. MRI scans tend to be better than ultrasound scans, but ultrasound scans are often the first port of call. Um, so if you are um, claustrophobic, an ultrasound scan might be something that you could consider. Um, but if but, it, but an MRI scan is more accurate than an ultrasound. So if an MRI has been recommended, I would suggest you talk to the doctor who does the MRI uh, to suggest to ask how the accuracy compares with a with a lying down MRI. I'm really sorry that I have got zero clue about this. I don't know. I feel like I've let you down. You've asked a question. You've come on to the Ask JJ show and I have let you down. So lying down MRI person, I'm sorry that I've let you down. I really am. I feel bad about it. I could have at least Googled it before I came on, couldn't I? That would have been the least I could have done. But I feel that being a bit disingenuous, wouldn't it? Would it? Should I have done that? Can we have a vote? Should I have Googled it before I came on? But you can Google it, can't you? You're asking me for my opinion, you know, my... Anyway, I didn't Google it. I don't know. Move on. Move on. Khan's in the house. Good to see you, Khan. That, I believe, is a wave emoji. And I'm going to wave at Terry because Terry has just joined on Instagram. And Emma L. Parker has asked a question here. How does it? How long does it take to recover from lipo in back and legs? So the good thing about lipo is that the scars are small. So um, the incisions are really small for, for lipo so that you don't have big wounds to recover from. So that is good news. Um, but having said that, I do think lipo is one of those things that has got good PR. Um, I put helicopters and squirrels in the same group of things that have got good PR. And I think liposuction has got good PR uh, in that uh, it seems to be people say, yeah, I've got some money, I will win the lottery, go and do some lipo, get a bit of lipo done. I mean, it is not an inconsiderable undertaking, liposuction. It is a little bit traumatic, although the skin incisions are small. There's like a metal tube that sort of obviously sucks the fat out, and that does make you a bit battered and bruised. So you can, Emma, expect to be a little bit battered and bruised after liposuction to your back and legs, I think it was. Um, so you can expect to be quite battered and bruised. Now the bruising will last for a week or two and the swelling can last for a good few months. I've got to be honest with you. And often people have liposuction will find that they look quite, can look similar to how they look preoperatively sometimes in the initial post-operative uh, phase because the fat that's been removed can be um, replaced by fluid. So sometimes you think, hold on a minute, I haven't even done, it's terrible. Often we'll give you garments and supportive um, things to, to wear, which can help with that swelling. But even so, you know, it can take a good few months for things to properly settle. And I normally say things start at about three months. And that's, you know, and I say that for cutting operations as well. But tummy um, liposuction is in the same 
arena because it is quite traumatic although obviously the skin it's the skin incisions and the sort of downtime in terms of wound healing etc is a lot less because they're very very small just stab incisions but don't be surprised if it knocks you back more than perhaps you think if you think you're going to have like not much done and it's all going to be fine it does take a while to get that final result so it does take a little while to get an idea of what's going on elaine is in the house check out the hair people that is an urdu Okay, that is an Urdu. Nice hair there, Elaine. Nice to see you. Um, uh, I've had lipo before with my TT. There you go, Emma. So it'll be the same or similar. It'll be similar. Uh, I wouldn't be an Instagram Live without Jackie. So um, it'll be similar to your tummy tuck, Emma. Um, not Elaine. Elaine's on Facebook. Get it right. Focus. So, um, yeah, similar to your TT. Uh, tummy tuck that is for our uh, viewers who don't know the abbreviations so yeah similar uh journey how are you i've got my reduction next tuesday oh my god next tuesday wow um the only thing i'm a bit worried about is showering afterwards with the tape on will the tape be okay to shower with no chimney chimney it will not no no, it will not. I don't, know, I don't know how many other ways I can put. No, I'm really, really sorry, but you will not be able to shower with the tapes on. So uh, you have to be creative with washing. You can sit in a bath, sit in a shallow bath, and just sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, towel, not towel, will be a towel, flannel, you know, wash sort of thing. Um, I mean, you're lucky because the weather's, you know, not, can you imagine in the height high of summer, you might not be very happy about it, but the weather's not too bad at the moment in terms of not too hot. Um, in fact, it is pretty bad weather, but that is not bad for having surgery. So um, you will not be able to shower with those tapes on, but um, they'll only be on for a week. So Vicky will give you a call a few days after surgery and sort out of, uh, um, a dressing clinic appointment in about a week. And at that week appointment, the, dressing, uh, the tapes will come off. So they'll only be on for a week. Once the tapes come off, then you can wash and shower. Sometimes you get a little bit of healing things here and there. So you might need dressings for longer. But, you know, broadly speaking, the majority of people only need dressings for a week. And if you do potentially need dressings for longer, sometimes what we'll do is maybe give you some waterproof dressings and stuff so you can get in the shower. Because obviously we'll be keen to get in the shower. But that first week is, um, that first week is, is not, um, is not shower week, my friend. June, June, is that you? Is that a photo of you? June, re-MRI, thank you for your time trying to answer my difficult question. I'll consider option I said to check for implant. Yeah, June, I'm really sorry. I, well, I thank you for thanking June. I don't think I helped an awful lot, um, but my gut feeling would be that an ultrasound, I mean, traditionally an ultrasound is sort of often first line, but an ultrasound is less sensitive and specific than a uh, uh, than an MRI. So I understand why you might want to go for an MRI. I would imagine that a standing MRI would be pretty good, but that's just me imagining it. So yeah, I, I guess you need to speak to someone who does standing MRIs, and I guess you need to speak to someone who does traditional MRIs as well, because you might say the standing guy might say, yeah, they're great, and the traditional guy might say, no, they're not good. But um, yeah, June, I do feel bad that you're actually here in real life and you've heard me not answering your question pretty well. That actually makes me feel worse. That actually makes me feel that I wish I'd actually done a bit of research before, even more now that you're actually here. But anyway, 
is what it is. Got to move on. Can't change it. I'm sorry about that. But um, I'm sorry I wasn't more helpful on that. But good luck, June, um, with that. Um, but yeah, I don't even know how it's standing on I guess you're not completely enclosed in it then. Is it less claustrophobic? Because you don't even know what they look like. They've got a door. Anyway. Um, so what have we got? What have we got? Come on. Okie dokie noted thoughts. That's what. I thought that would be the answer. Well, yeah, you did. You didn't, you thought you were going to be a shower. The only thing I worry about is showering afterwards. Yeah, would be a shit. Yeah, no showering. Um, uh, I don't know about you. Oh well, thank you, June. That is something. There you go. There you go. I'm blown it. I'm blown it with June. It's all right. Okay. Do we offer anti-wrinkle injections? I like the way anti-wrinkle injections. Notice terminology there because we're not allowed to use the term Botox. Botox is not allowed to be used. So I think we can say anti-wrinkle injections such as Botox. I think we're allowed to say that. But we're not allowed to say um, that word because that is a prescription-only medication and you are not allowed to advertise prescription-only medications. So uh, the term that is officially used is anti-wrinkle injections. Um, um, you know what? <laughs> Here goes the honesty again. I think we do. I don't, <laughs> but I think we do. Um, I think we do. I think Kurum does. Vicky used to do it, but I don't know. I mean, we are quite busy with the surgical stuff. I mean, we certainly focus on the surgical stuff. And I know a lot of people, my friends particularly, you have got clinics and says that I should do the um, anti-wrinkle injections and, and the non-surgical work. But I, personally, it's not really been on my path of training and, you know, um, interest i suppose um so i i've i've you know i've gone down a path of breast and body contouring and the anti-wrinkle injections and fillers and uh, the non-surgical world has not been a world that is something that i have been focused on and not only that there is a lot of people who are very focused on it and to, to be honest with you for the first you know for a few years setting up my clinic um i was just focusing on the things that i was um you know, really, really knew that I was good at sort of thing. Obviously, that wouldn't be good at wrinkle injections. I don't think they're too difficult to do, but it's not really been my specialty. And I've tried to build the clinic on being a real specialist place with a niche, and the niche is breast and body contouring. Um, so we haven't really pushed the anti-wrinkle injection agenda. It's a tough, and the other thing is, it's all very well. My friends would say, oh, you should do it, and it's really good for the clinic. It's all very well saying that, but... It's tough getting patients, just like anything. It's a tough old world out there because it is a competitive market. And the other really tough thing is the thing that I've realized having looked into doing the anterior injections is that the people who make the money are the people who sell the, um, sell the stuff because the stuff costs an absolute fortune, especially if you use the proper stuff. If you use, you know, and you use it properly in a prescription only way in terms of you see a patient, you get a prescription and then you give the patient that drug. Um, and there are people out there who are doing high volumes of these who are perhaps not using the, um, the sort of um, the respected makes of it. Now, I think there's quite a lot of cheaper copies. I don't know if they're not as effective, I don't know. 
you would imagine they might not be. Maybe they're just as effective. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into some kind of thing that people say, oh, it's okay to use them. I'm not saying it's not okay, but there is a, you know, when we were doing it, we were using, you know, the one, the industry's sort of gold standard. Um, and volume, you know, you're supposed to use one ampule for each patient. And if you're going to be using one ampule for many patients, then you can get a lot of cost of savings. So there's a lot of people out there who are managing to do significantly cost-saving measures that if you don't do those cost-saving measures, there are, you cannot compete in anywhere near the ballpark of price. I think we're getting onto a question about price, but um, you cannot compete. And, and you know, and the, pro or the thing about the anti-wrinkle injections, they often have to be repeated so if you're charging an awful lot more than everybody else, it's quite hard, I think, for patients to take that on the chin on a on a repeat basis. Um, our, what question I've got is about how, you know, our prices, um, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I think for the breast and body contouring, which is sort of more of a one-off purchase, I think you can perhaps justify the, the charge a little bit more than for something that's going to wear off in a few weeks. So the... Um, so we've not really, uh, the direction of the clinic is not really focused on the anti-wrinkle injection uh, area stuff. Terry Pierce is my friend and she is asking, have you had dates for next year's surgery? Don't know, Terry. I'm not doing well tonight. How many questions? Is this the third question? I answered the anti -re I don't think I've answered any of these questions very well. If I'm if I'm re if I'm reflective about how um, how this has gone, but anyway, um, we're going to push on. Terry, I don't know where are we now. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? October. You'd have thought we have dates for next year. I've got to be honest with you, Terry. The dates for for surgery is a bit all over the place. You know that it's all this COVID and all the private hospitals being used. So we're getting dates, you know, left, right, and centre, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to fill them when we get them. But they're often giving us the dates at sort of short notice, and we're phoning people up saying, "Oh, you've got a date for this," and they're like, "Well, hold on a minute, I've got to sort out my work and stuff." Um, because it is, you know, in the old days, I used to have regular lists, but that's unfortunately not a situation at the moment. So they're all over the place. The lists. So I don't, I don't know, Terry. Can I, can I either ask Sally to give you a ring or you give us a ring? Um, I'll try and remember to get Sally to give you a ring tomorrow, if you want, um, to just answer that question because I don't know. So I'll defer that to uh, to Sally or Amy or someone else other than me. Um, Amy Lou through thirty three eighty eight. Now that's not your day of birth. Hope you don't mind me asking. Can you explain a little about twilight sedation? Mind you asking, Amy Lou. I'm delighted you're asking. I will call tomorrow. Good on you, Terry. Give us a call. Um, I'm all for it, Amy Lou. Don't you be negative about it. Let's let's ask away. Um, I've got a question about interlocal sedation, but later on about so something type. But yeah, twilight sedation. So um, basically, the sort of maybe traditionally there was sort of local anaesthetic and general anaesthetic. And local anaesthetic is where you inject um, the, the anaesthetic into the area that you're gonna um, uh, operate on. Classic being the dentist, I guess. They inject your gum and your gum goes numb. Uh, but also if you're having a mole, if you inject and the, the mole and, and the, the skin goes numb, you can cut the mole off and the patient is completely awake. Their conscious level is not altered in any way. They're completely like they are, you know, they're totally, yeah, fully conscious. Um, 
general anesthetic you are i guess unconscious you know you're you're asleep basically you have a tube down your throat breathing for you um so that the machine breathes for you and um and you are completely unaware of what's going on so you basically go to sleep you have surgery you wake up there's absolutely zero um uh, uh consciousness during that uh, procedure um and then this twilight uh, or local anesthetic sedation is something that's coming relatively recent in the uk um it's been around for i think quite a bit longer in america and there's quite a uh, a range in terms of local anesthetation um you you can get um like for instance if you're having a, ten, den, a dental procedure and you're having a bit of sedation a bit of diazepam or something like they say a sort of gin and tonic they might say or something like that it's not, obviously not gin and tonic it's diazepam but you know they give they give you something to make you feel a bit relaxed and a bit bit you know to cope with the anesthetic a bit a bit better so that would um be called local anesthetic and sedation what we would do under local anesthetation is a slightly different uh, thing to that so twilight anesthetic is a bit more than other types of local anesthetation where you are quite conscious and you're aware of what's going on but a bit sort of like drunk you know and you're sort of like oh you know you don't really react as, as severely to it so it makes it a bit easier to cope with so that would be your local installation that you might have with a dentist or something. So what we would do when we do procedures, uh, and this is something that's come out recently, pushed by the COVID because we weren't getting, able to get into hospitals um, where they do general anaesthetic. A lot of the work we used to do was, was under general anaesthetic. But pushed by the COVID, we've realised that you can actually push the boundaries. And there are some people in the country who have already been pushing the boundaries with the local installation. Um, but we've realised you can push the boundaries of the local installation now. It is not like the gin and tonic drunk one that you have at the, at the uh, dentist. It is probably closer to the general anaesthetic, to be honest with you, than it is with the, with the you know, feeling a bit like merry. You are pretty sedated. So twilight anaesthetic, you are pretty sedated. You are, um, you are, you don't have a tube breathing for you. You don't have a tube down your mouth breathing for you. You have an oxygen mask on, but you don't actually, the machine is not breathing for you. So that is a difference between the, a general anaesthetic but um, the anaesthetist has to work hard to make sure that you keep breathing for yourself and you keep um, conscious enough to breathe for yourself but you are not really conscious of what is going on and so sometimes people having local anaesthetic think oh that'd be great that'd be exciting i'd like to see what's going on in surgery and things you don't really know what's going on you're not really aware of what's going on and the most common thing people say once they've had local insulation when you go and see them often say how was it is how was what that's the most common statement when you say how was it they say how was what they were completely um, um would the word unconscious be right i don't know if the word unconscious is right but they're pr pretty unconscious you know they, they're not really conscious of what going on sometimes you'll get a bit of a, oh that hurt oh that hurts and a bit oh, okay but more locally so there is a bit of um, um, uh, potential for feeling bits and bobs, which is why some people prefer just to go straight for GA. But, um, but that is uh, what twilight or local insulation, twilight implies sedation. So that's what twilight and sedation, if you like, is. Amy Lewin, thank you for asking that question. June Lee is back in the house. What is your preferred breast implant of choice for breast augmentation? 
or what implant is being chosen more often by your patients. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a manufacturer that I am tied to. So I can use any uh, manufacturer as long as the hospital can get me implants or as long as we can order the implants. So um, I am not tied to any particular manufacturer. So if a patient comes to me and says, I like Mentor or Seba or um, Motiva or Nagel or, or whatever, I think all the implant manufacturers now, then I will be fine to use those. But yes, I do have a preferred uh, uh, implant of choice. And my preferred implant of choice is Polytech, uh, is the company I tend to use. And the reason for that is because they're the only company that make polyurethane. So if you want a polyurethane foam implant, you have to have Polytech. And it's a little bit easier when you're choosing an implant because they do polyurethane, they do textured silicone in a macro and a micro textured form. Um, they don't do smooth. So probably use a Nagel, um, if I was using a smooth or possibly mentor if I was using smooth. Um, but, but they do sort of cover quite a wide range of types of implants. Uh, they've also got a very good warranty where they offer um, Q Medical who uh, distribute them in the UK have a um, thing where they cover you for two years for any complications or any revisions where they'll cover the hospital costs or they'll cover a certain amount of money. I think it's it's £1,500 per implant. I might be wrong, but it's a certain amount of money towards hospital costs, which is quite good. So you go two years, so I quite like that. <clears throat> so um, that is the make that I use. I don't make any um, claim that they're better than the other makes. I think all the big companies are, are uh, make very good implants with good um, track records. And um, I would be wary about anyone and I do see people who come to clinic saying, I've heard these are the best implants. And I'm like, well, I don't know who's told you that, but it might be that they can only use that implant, you know, because I can use any type of implant. I do try and keep it open and let people about, know about all the types of implants. The saline, the silicone, I tend not to use saline so much in this country. Most of the implants we use in this country are silicone, silicone gel and silicone shell. And then there's a smooth shell. There's a textured shell, which is a rough shell. And the more recently, there's one in between, which is called a micro-textured shell. So there's a smooth micro-textured and a macro-textured, so a little bit rough and very rough. And then there's polyurethane foam, which has got a foam coating around the outside. So, um, you know, there's a sort of broadly speaking, the four types of implants that are available. Um, the one that's chosen more often by my patients is the polyurethane. I do tend to use more polyurethane than, uh, than the others, um, but... Um, but as I say, there are, there are, I give people the pros and cons because there are cons with polyurethane just as there are pros with polyurethane. So we go through that in the clinic, the pros and cons to try and get to a, a place where you feel what's right for you to have inside your body, basically. And, you know, I'm happy using any of them. I'll use smooth, I'll use micro texture, macro texture, I'll use polyurethane. Um, I, you know, uh, and we just make a decision between yourself and, and myself uh, as to what might be right for you. Corinne has got a question. What's a day in the life routine for you on surgery days? Do you get breaks, etc.? Um, the breaks that I don't like taking um, too long a break, uh, Corinne. No, I like get, getting getting um, getting on with it personally, and we we will load the lists so the lists are are full. Um, so I will um, come in 
before the list starts to see my patients. So I'll see everyone uh, on the day of surgery. Um, uh, I try and do consent forms prior to the day of surgery if I can. I prefer to do the consent form prior to the day of the surgery, and then I just do what's called a confirmation of the consent on the day of surgery. Um, but if I haven't already done the consent form, uh, if I haven't seen the person in the last few weeks or, or recently before in the clinic, because sometimes we're doing phone calls and things, then and people live far away and stuff, um, I might do the, uh, the consent form on the day. Um, uh, so I'll do the consent form if required. Um, take some photographs, draw on you, answer any questions, um, see my patients, then we'll go down to theatre. Um, and to be honest with you, I will, as I'm ideally, I will see... Um, at least two patients before the list starts. It's quite inefficient if you only see one patient do that operation and then have to come out of theatre to see the second patient. So ideally, you'll bring the first two patients at least in um, before the list starts. Now, it does get a bit tricky. Like on Monday, for instance, I had two quite big operations. They were both quite big operations, and they both bought, they both bought them both in um, before the list started, which I felt a bit bad about because the shorter operation was going to take about three hours so that you know both patients were brought in at I don't know seven o'clock in the morning and I knew that the um you know the, the second one was going to have to wait at least three hours probably four hours because we didn't start till god knows when so um you know that that I did feel a bit bad but generally speaking we do try and get two patients in because it's more efficient running of the theater that when I'm finishing my operation we can send for the next patient so we send for the next patient, which means we ask the porter to go up to the ward and get the next patient. The next patient comes down. Now the anesthetist has to make sure the patient's off the table and, and is um, and is safe and comfortable before anesthetizing the next patient. And then I have to go off and do my op note. So there is a natural gap between operations where I'll do my op note in it and have a drink and have something to eat or whatever if needed. So there's always natural gaps. Um, and, I, and I don't like doing breaks personally. If the theatre staff need breaks, that's fine. They can have breaks and we, you know, not averse to having a break. But um, uh, as a rule, and, and most surgeons, I think you find we just want to crack on with it. Um, and we, all, we always have natural breaks because there'll be a time when, you know, the anaesthetist is recovering one, op one patient before the anaesthetist can then put the next one to sleep. And then when the next one gets to sleep, has to come into theatre and often, often has to get prepped and draped and things. So you've got a bit of a natural break in between. So I just tend to use those breaks rather than um, having a, a sort of lunch or anything like that. Yeah. Lunch is for wimps. I'm going to do lunch. June says one word, Allegan. So Allegan is, uh, I don't know what that means, June. Does that mean you've got Allegan? Now, Allegan was a huge player, a huge player, massive American company, one of the few implant manufacturers that had FDA approval in the United States, but they are no longer available, June. I don't know if you know that. They did not renew their CE mark a few years ago. So uh, Allegan are no longer um, uh, in the breast implant market. Um, is that what you've got? They they, they, they didn't renew. Oh, here we go. Final question, I promise, June asks someone, is your one? Allergan implants, were these one of those implants closely connected to associated with a rare cancer risk that is associated with textured implants? Yes, June, they were. So, um, yes, they, they, the facts of it are they did not renew their CE mark. They did not renew their um, ability to, to, to sell implants in Europe. Um, 
So if someone says they were taken off the market, that's not strictly true. They weren't taken off the market. They just didn't renew their CE mark. But they did have a, uh, a number of ALCL cases. Now, as you say, it's an extremely rare cancer associated with implants. And it seems to be related to the roughness of the implants, so the texturing of the implants, and you know whether that had a uh, an association with the reason why they didn't renew their CE mark. I don't know. I don't think they have officially said why they didn't renew it. Um, uh, so it may or may not be due to that, but that you know that that might have been a contributing factor. Having said that, the there is no advice to say that anyone with Allergan implants should have them removed or should be concerned at all. But everybody with implants should be aware of the risk of ALCL, which presents as a lump or a swelling sometime after having implants put in. So anyone with any implants in should be aware of that risk. Um, and there is no reason to do anything different if you have Allergan implants in. Um, you know, you know the, the risks associated with changing implants, um, I mean, you have to weigh those risks with the risks of you actually having ALCL, which is extremely rare. And uh, and ALCL is also um, curable in, in a, the vast majority of cases by removing the capsule. It's a cancer of the capsule. It is not breast cancer. So, um, but yeah, that might have had something to do with Allergan not renewing the CE mark. I don't know. And I don't know if they officially um, said what the reason was. I wasn't really, never really close to Allergan, never really used Allergan implants. So it's not really something I've been has affected my patients, but, um, but, you know, obviously I'm in the industry, so I know what's going on, but yeah, it's, um, that's Allergan for you. Um, what's going on? Right. Look at this. Why are you so expensive? Now this, um, I asked them to put this question in because I got a message. This someone on, on Instagram messaged me, um, on Instagram, private message and said, you know, in a, in, in a sort of, um, you know, because I'm on Instagram. I'm an Instagrammer, let's face it. And they private messaged me and say, hey, I'm interested in, I can't remember what it was now, breast implants or something. Um, and I said, hi, how are you doing? Uh, give us your email and we'll send you some information. JJ, you know, signed it JJ, like a friendly thing. And... Um, so I said, oh, look, have a look at Instagram. This someone's message and was some information about stuff. And, so and then I said, oh, what's happened to, um, you know, that one Instagram person? And they said, oh, yeah, she's emailed back. And um, she said that she's looked at a few places and you're too, you're too expensive. So she's, you know, going one or the other sort of thing. I'm like, right, OK. And I did feel a bit bad. I'll be honest with you. I did feel a bit bad because I thought I was sort of, you know, quite friendly. And then. I feel like I've been sort of, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? So I've said, look, why don't we put this question in? Why are you so expensive? And what I try and say to people is that I know that we are not the cheapest uh, in terms of having, let's say, for breast implants, which I guess is the most competitive operation out there, because certainly the big clinics are very competitive with, with breast implant. Um, but I, probably with everything, tummy tucks and breast reductions and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know we are not the most competitive on price, and I also know that it is very important to be competitive. It's a competitive marketplace, and I will. I have built the clinic aware that I need to compete with everybody else. I need to compete with other plastic surgeons. I need to compete with the um, 
the uh, commercial clinics that offer this sort of operation. And I believe, and I worked hard to make sure that we compete. And I think we compete really well. But the thing that I say to people, if you're going to compete, you have to choose what you're going to compete on. And I have chosen to compete on service and aftercare. And if you compete on service and aftercare, you can't compete on price. You just can't do it. You can't compete on everything. You can't compete on price, quality, service, experience, qualifications, aftercare. You can't, you can't compete on both. Um, so you, you really can't, can't, can't do it. Um, you know, it's impossible to have a service, say, look, what are we going to do? What can we do to get, I'm constantly thinking, what can we do to give value? What can we uh, do to give more to our patients? A, a large portion of my week and, and uh, it is taken up with uh, clinics. A, a lot of the patients I see, the majority of the patients I see are follow-ups, to be honest with you. I see, I see an awful lot of follow-up patients and, and there are other surgeons out there who have clinics full of new patients all they see is new patients new patients new patients new patients um okay i mean most people are all right after their breast or implants they might see them once six weeks and then that's it never see them again um okay but and if they're doing that then i guess they've got more time to see more new patients and therefore they can do more operations and therefore maybe they can still earn the same as me and charge less because they're doing more operations than i am and sometimes people ask me that. Oh, there's a question here about how many operations you do and stuff. And I'll be and I'll be quite honest about that. Um, I am not the highest volume operator in the country by a long chalk, and I don't want to be. To be honest with you, there are people who are doing these massive long lists, doing loads of uh, ops all day and all night, and you know, that's good, I guess, to, to have experience. Um, but I think you've got to, you know, there's a level somewhere where you want to have a certain amount of experience. And um, and I don't want to be uh, doing big, long, crazy lists with long, big numbers. And I've built the clinic on being a more bespoke, one-on-one -on -one type thing, you know, looking after people's stuff. So that's how I built the clinic. It's not like a, you know, factory line type thing, you know, get through, get through, get through volume where maybe if you have got factory line, get through, get through, you know, like cars, you know, you can produce loads of cars, you afford Fiestas, you can don't have to charge much for it. But if you're giving a like a Bentley, you're hand stitching the leather, you can't, you can't do both. You can't hand stitch the leather and make sure the dashboard's all like, what do we do with the Bentley? You know, make sure, <laughs> make sure the carburettors are, clean i'm sure i'm sure fourth yester carburetors are clean but you know you know what i mean if you're hand building the car ha hammering the panels yeah you can't hammer the panels and do it cheap because it takes ages to hammer the panels you're better off mass producing it and banging it out i'm hammering the panels that's what i'm doing all day i'm hammering those panels to make sure the door's nice and then we just do a few Get that door right. I don't produce the most cars in the world, but I produce, try and produce really nice cars. Yeah, you get the analogy? Is that working? Is that landing? Is the analogy landing? Sometimes it lands. I just thought about just now that analogy. I don't know if it's a good one, but anyway.
That's why we're so expensive. We're hand, we're hand hammering the doors. And I say vast majority of my day is taken up with follow-ups. I like seeing patients. I never discharge anyone. I make it quite clear they are welcome to come back as often as they want. And I see people who had operations years ago and I'll say, come back next year. We'll see how you're getting on. Just keep you on the books, et cetera, et cetera. Or come back in six months. And, you know, if you've got anything you're worried about, come and give us a ring. You know, and I, people give us a ring, say, I'm patient eight years ago and I've, you know, got a lump or something like that. I'm worried about it. I'm like, that's fine. Then let's have a look. Nice to see you. So that's how I built it. So I hope I just, so I'm not focused on the, the price. I'm focused on the quality and the service. Other people might be focused on the price. I might be getting that price down and they're like really undercutting me, for instance. I'm sure they are. I'm sure it's quite easy to undercut me um, on price, but it's not easy to undercut me on service. It is not easy to undercut me. It is impossible to undercut me on service. There is no one hammering the doors like I am hammering those doors. I am hammering those doors. I am hand stitching that the, the dog agrees, right? Thank you. Thank you for that vote of confidence there. Yes. Right? So I think that's clear. Yeah? Right. There we go. Right. What's that? Oh, this, it's been kicking off. What's going on? Allegan implants. Here we go. Terry, you, uh, you definitely get what you pay for. Bad analogy. My husband is a builder and nine times out of ten he will price a job and the customer will go elsewhere, then get back in touch months later with a cowboy builder or service with some standard. Terry, I've had that. Yes, I've had that. People come back and say, I'm, and that's the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure your husband's the same, Terry, that, you know, you, well, I don't know what, you, what it's like in, the, in that trade, but, you know, we can't just do aftercare. People say, look, I'm, you know, and, that, and I think people don't realize that the price includes the aftercare. What is it should? <laughs> you know, you can't just have the aftercare from me. I can't just say I've had my surgery elsewhere. Can I pay you a few hundred quid for coming and see you now? And because it's not looking right, I'm like, well, actually, that's up to the surgeon who did the surgery. It's not fair on my patients. If I charge patients a lot of money and then I look after you or post op, you know, that your post op is for your surgeon. Your surgeon, you know what went on, what went on. And then the onus, the the um, duty is to the surgeon who did the surgery to make to get you through it. And um, and, I, and I think people often don't realize a bit like insurance. You don't realize that until you need it. Um, yeah. Corinne, look at that. Corinne, you can't put a price on quality. You hear that? June, thank you. Thank you. Terry, happy so far with my results. Good. So the builder has done all this builder has done all right. Thank you, Terry. Anna, ask JJ. Nice. Hi, I shopped around for having my surgery done by Jonathan. You get what you pay for, and I've had an excellent experience. See? Thank you, Hannah. Excellent. Excellent. So look at that. God. They're all coming out. Excellent results and aftercare is amazing. Well, thank you, Cheryl. That's what we want. Well, that's what it's all about, Cheryl. And that is what I try and do. And I try and make sure that I look after people, basically. And I think, I've got to be honest with you, plastic surgery's got a bit of a bad name. I think that there's an image that everyone just does it once and just doesn't care and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it has got a bit of a bad rep. And, you know, on an individual basis, we've all got to do our, our bit to try and, you know, um, go against that. But unfortunately, there are people out there who are not doing very well going against that because they're not looking after people properly, basically. But, you know, just doing my bit. 
what's happened on Instagram. Thank you for those comments, Hannah, Cheryl, Terry, Corey. Thank you. Tashable 007, We get what we pay for and you provide a great service one week post-op and more than happy with what you've done and the service provided by all. Now I know who Tashable 07 is. <laughs> it should be obvious, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be obvious. Sorry, I didn't realize we made it. Good, good to hear. Um, I work for BMI Droitwich and I'm a porter for a lot of your patients and they have all said that you provide a brilliant service. Look at that. Oh my God, look at that. Teresa's here, good to see you, Teresa. Now, Teresa, you asked to be in the live video. Did you mean to do that? Because if you did, I will let you on the live video and you can go half and half with me. Is that what you want? Sent you a ring. Because usually when people do that, they don't really want to do that. And it's an accidental click of the button. I'm gonna wait there, I'm gonna leave it hanging because I think you might get a bit of a shock if I appear in your living room and the hundreds of people who are on this broadcast will see your living room. That's right, the world, I mean, there's quite a substantial, there's almost double figures on this broadcast, Teresa. So you've got to be clear, those six, seven people will see you. <laughs> That's quite a responsibility. I don't take it on lightly. I've let people into my, my room. Look at this, I had to tidy up first. I had to clear the chair, so the stuff on the chair. So you've got to, if you do want that, Teresa, clear up your living room before we go live, because I don't want those um, legion of people out there to see that. I'm gonna crack on with this question here, Teresa. I'm gonna leave that with you. I would like a mole removed. How experienced are your surgeons? So this is a person who is uh, having, a, having or, or proposing to have a mole removed by one of the other surgeons at the clinic. Um, and they're asking about our experience, how many moles removed, etc. Now, um, and, and I don't want, and I think this is a good question to ask. I think in general, it is a good question to ask about experience. I'm going to write a book on it in case you didn't know. Yeah, I mean, surely you knew. Yeah, I've written a book on how to choose a surgeon and saying you've got to look at experience. Yeah, basically. So it is good. If you, I can't, I can't criticize you for saying how experienced are your surgeons and, and how many are they done. The problem is this person has asked this question and we've been a bit like croaky, you know. I mean, if you ask me how many moles I've done, it's quite actually quite a hard, a hard question to answer um, because, and they said something like, um, the, the, something about a dermat they're not a dermatologist, are they? And it's like, no, they're not a dermatologist, they're a pla plastic surgeon. So first of all, all our surgeons at the clinic, we're all plastic surgeons, okay? So if you have a skin complaint, if you're worried about your skin, yes, a dermatologist is a skin specialist. But if you want to have something removed, um, then we're all plastic surgeons. We are all trained in surgery, in plastic surgery, in tissue handling, in cutting and stitching out bits of skin. And most moles, broadly speaking, I mean, you can get giant nevi, so you can get very challenging moles. But let's face it, they're pretty rare. Most moles are just things you can't stitch. So um, we are all very experienced at removing moles. And I don't want to, I mean, I should, we should have our numbers of moles. And if we look back at the log books and the, you know, I have to produce my figures for Bart's. I don't think, I think moles is in there. Um, the amount of moles we've done. We do have photos on the website of mole removals that have been done at the clinic. They're not 
um, specific to surgeon and that has been feedback that, that that's feedback that I've got from other people to say perhaps it would be nice to have specific for surgeon um, uh, uh, photos to say this is so-and-so's result that is so-and-so's result work in progress I need time this is one of the things you know we said about the service and aftercare and the volume I don't want to be a high volume surgeon because I want to develop the clinic I don't want to be doing so I can't be honest with you there's not many people here is there so it's all right I can be honest I don't want to be doing surgery all day every day I like building the clinic I like building a community building a place where people can feel looked after listen to got any problems come back in let's have a look at that you know I'm not saying no one has any problems at the clinic I never I've never said that I'm never no one can ever say they don't get problems we all get problems best surgeon in the world is going to get problems not only problems things when you first have it done it's not quite right too high too low up here they're down there they're a bit you know this or that the nipple's not right or whatever all sorts you know no question about it we get that just like anyone else gets that but what i will say is that we will look up we come back in let's have a look send us a photo email us a photo we'll have a look oh my god yeah that is a bit like that yeah let's have a look at it keep testing out it's next week and this is this and that so we just look after you people so i'm trying to develop a community where you feel looked after that's what i'm really trying to do um how on earth did I get onto that? Yes, that's right, about the mould, the photos. So I'm aware that one of the things, if we did have photos on the website specific for the surgeon, that might be a good thing, you know, with our different surgeons, if we each put our before and afters and we can say, this is a one by me, this is one by Kuro, whatever, you know, uh, and the different surgeons, we could, we could, um, that, that would be good if we could do that. But... Um, but we haven't, they're just poor results. <laughs> at the moment and so we're all experienced plastic surgeons so i think from mole removal um yeah I, it might I, I felt bad because uh, Vic, uh, nicola phoned me and said this patient's asking about numbers etc and i'm and i'm like yeah good well done for asking but it's hard to put numbers on it i don't know how many moles i do or have done you know i don't know how many cases i've done um all i can do is say look i'm a plastic surgeon You've got to go through several years, I don't know, five years maybe of surgical training, followed by six years of plastic surgery training. So before you even start your plastic surgery training, you've got to have done general surgery training in, in different surgical specialties. So you've got to be a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, I'm now a member of the Royal College of Surgeons, before you even start your plastic surgery training, which is six years long. So six years full-time plastic surgery training you know, any plastic surgeon is going to be um, okay with roles. Maybe I overrate that question a bit. Um, can I have a twilight when having a tummy tuck? So, um, simple answer, yes, you can have a twilight anaesthetic when having a tummy tuck. It is one of those ops that I am a bit about. As I said earlier, in terms of um, the... Um, is that twilight with three eyes? Anyway, uh, in terms of the absolute level of sedation, it is up there. If you talk to anesthetist, the, the level of sedation with the twilight is up there with the general anaesthetic, and it has to be up there for a twilight, uh, for a tummy tuck. But it can be done under twilight, and, there, and, I, and I have done it under twilight. Um, full disclosure. I think I've only done it once. So I'm not like I'm not like an experienced surgeon. 
Um, I think I'm going to do that one. Certainly done. I've done. i done one full tummy tuck lipo muscle repair. You know, full on. I've done mini tummy tuck, uh, which is you know quite established. A mini tummy tuck under uh, under twilight is absolutely fine. But a full tummy tuck with muscle repair, uh, etc., is a, is a big deal. And I did, and it and it was absolutely fine. So there was absolutely no problems with it. It went absolutely fine. And so I'm sure it can be done. Well, I know it can be done. Um, but having said that, and and actually having spoken to the patient afterwards, who was actually very anxious about general anaesthetic, she actually said, you know what, if I had it again, I'd have it under a general. And uh, my default position for it is a, is a general. Um, but if someone said, look, you know what, I'm really worried about general or, or for whatever reason, I don't want a general, it can be done under a local station. You have to make sure you've got the right anaesthetist who is comfortable with everything. Um, all the hostels that I work at have facility for general. So I'll say to you, look, if you're finding it uncomfortable, if it's uh, if it's not, you know, if, it, if it's not a great experience for you, we don't want you to be sort of traumatized by it. So we can always convert to a general. So you probably plan to, you know, convert to a general if required. But it is it is definitely something that can be done under a twilight anesthetic. But my default is still a general with a uh, with a tummy tuck i still would probably veer towards general unless the patient said look you know what i really want to have a twilight for, for these reasons um uh, and yes it can be done would have been a long try yeah nice abbreviation there neil let's not we all let's not mess about we know what neil's on about it would have been a long try and i know it's not neil is it it's not neil is it but anyway <laughs> I know you confuse me with that, but yeah, exactly. I mean, a tummy tuck is three-hour operation, so yeah, it's a long twice. But listen, as I say, you're pretty sedated. You're 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 not really conscious. You're not really you know chatting. You're pretty, you know. So you're pretty like. So yeah, it is three hours, but it's 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 doable. It is doable, Neil. It is do doable. It's not Neil, is it, Donna? Stoner. You can't hear that. Do we offer, um, Teresa? You not come back at me about joining the thing. I hope you're not upset that I'm, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just, well, I am ignoring you because I think you've accidentally pressed the button. But if you do want to go split screen, I think this is something we could do. You know, moving forward in the future, this split screen. Have a guess. What do you think, guys? Have a guess. Would that be better than just me rabbiting on? Huh? Like a guest, maybe a patient. Yeah, if you're a patient and you want to join me, I know there is, look, I know there's facility for split screen. There's definitely, I can't, you know, I've done it with a photo, there's a split screen on this. I can invite someone. So um, if you do want to be a guest, bear in mind, let me know. Um, Neil, do you do lips under twilight? Sorry, should be lipo. Yeah, I mean, lips can be done at a local. Um, I need a haircut, don't I? Just looking at myself, I need a haircut. Donna, I knew it was Donna. Um, lipo, yes. Do, sorry, what was the question? Do you do lips under twilight? Lipo under twilight, yeah. Yeah, you can do lipo under twilight, Donna. You can do lipo under twilight. Absolutely, deadly. Um, I mean, again, earlier on we were talking about lipo. It is a little bit traumatic, lipo. There is a bit of pushing and pulling, um, but absolutely, 
actually not a bad one to do under under locum sedation because when you put in um, the the uh, fluid routinely, even under general anaesthetic, you inject local anaesthetic and fluid into the area before you do the lipo. So to do that under a bit of sedation would be absolutely fine. Donna, yes, local and sedation for for lipo is is absolutely fine. And Donna is seeing me tomorrow. Donna, I know you are, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I've got it in my diary, and I've been looking forward to it all week. K-Babes, when having a full tummy tuck, is a monsplast usually included or an additional procedure? If something is required to do to the mons, and well done you for noticing if you have noticed, because a lot of people don't notice that the mons has got a bit of fullness, then we can do something to the mons. We can change the shape of the mons, which I, in you know, is a monsplasty, let's face it. Um, we can do stuff to the mons. So if you're having liposuction, you can do a little bit of liposuction to take some of the heaviness out. You can't really do, if there's a lot of totic skin, so if there's a lot of, uh, of skin there, got to be a little bit careful about taking too much skin um, because we don't want to sort of undermine and go too much south at the same time as doing the tummy tuck because the scar can drift up if we do that. So in answer to your question, yes, a limited amount of stuff can be done to the mons. I did one um, on Monday. There was a little bit of fullness in the mons area. I did some liposuction and did my best to take the heaviness out of the mons as part of the tummy tuck. So no additional cost or anything like that. It's just part of the tummy tuck. It was, it, was, it was noted prior to surgery. And I said, look, I'll do my best to work on the mons. If there is a lot of fullness, if there's a lot of skin, I might say to you, look, I'll do my best. There might still be a bit of fullness to the mons because my focus is on the bit above the mons is the sort of tummy tuck bit. My focus is getting that right and getting that as good as I can. I can't do both. I can't go up and go down with my sort of undermining. So I go up with my undermining and I pull that scar down to the mons area to get the scar as low as I can. I don't really want to do too much to the mons because if I release the mons too much, if you like, it can drift the scar up, pull the scar up, and it can cause problems. So yes, the mons plasty, if you like, is part of a tummy tuck, but it is limited. So it's good to raise that and have a discussion uh, with, with your surgeon to say, look, realistically, do you think I can make, you know, is it gonna be enough or do you think I'm gonna need another procedure? Because if there's a lot of fullness there, it will be another procedure. Having said that, it's very rare to do a mons plasty I can remember doing one, but it's literally years ago. Um, like, well, that would be a separate procedure to just, just address the mons um, after they've had a tummy tuck. So yes, it's, it's possible, but it is not common. Uh, what's Donna got? I had mine with you under general, but was wondering. The lipo. Oh, right. Okay. I feel bad now. Did I not offer you local intubation? Yeah, well, general. General's fine. I've got to be honest, Donna, they're similar. The more I've looked into it, the more similar I realise they are. But uh, but yeah, it could have been done under general, uh, local and station. Sorry, Donna. Do we offer tattoo excision for finger tattoos? And I think they've asked this because we talked to Vicky about this the other day and she was saying, I don't think we've ever done one. Um, I think I have done them, but it's not, I think, but we got an awful lot of inquiries of people with finger tattoos and we pretty much always say no. And we're not saying no because we don't do them. I mean, I will do, I'll take it. I'll take a tattoo off any part of the body. The problem is the finger, the skin is really tight on the finger. 
So even a small tattoo on the finger, you know, you don't want to remove all that hair, you know, a little tattoo here, it's all the hair bearing skin gone. And people often say, oh, look, I've got a spare skin on my finger. You can, you can cut it out, look at that, look at all that spare skin. I'm like, yeah, but we'll make a fist. And all of a sudden that spare skin's gone now. You know, the spare skin when you do that, but as soon as you do that, it's gone. So you have to be able to make a fist. So you don't want to cut some, cut some, um, some skin out of there and then and then the, the wound open up again so you've got to be a bit careful so it is difficult to remove tattoos on a finger because the skin is so tight even a really small tattoo on a finger is a big deal because there's not a huge amount of skin surrounding a finger so you take a big chunk of the skin off it ain't going to be good i don't like skin grafts i don't like flaps um, when taking tattoos off so i will pretty much always direct close it, just stitch it up. So if it's too much to stitch up, I'd probably say to you, no. Um, so I usually, I think it'd be fair to say, say no to people with finger tattoos, simply because it's just gonna be too tight to, to close and stitch. And I know people get very upset with finger tattoos, particularly because it's a cosmetically sensitive area. And if they don't like the tattoo, they're sort of seeing all the time and, and people around them are seeing all the time. But as with any tattoo, I would say laser's the first line of treatment. And it is not a great area for excision, uh, the finger. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.